Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today on the program, we have James Berner, uh, who is uh, a young musician who uh, opened the show for Barnes Courtney and August Hall in San Francisco recently. Um, I had a chance to go see Barnes Courtney uh, at a show in San Francisco, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I am a fan of Barnes Courtney. He, uh, he puts on a really great show. We had him on the podcast a handful of years ago at this point probably about four years ago. Uh, so it'd be great to chat with him again, see, uh, hear more about his upcoming album, Super, Supernatural, that sort of thing. But don't have him on right now and uh, haven't reached out about that. But when I uh, went to the show, I did see James Bruner open the show and was really impressed by his performance. So I wanted to uh, bring him on the podcast, get to chat with him a little bit, hear about his music. And, uh, and we got a chance to do that. So um, we'll do that in just a moment. Uh, before we get there, though, I do have to talk about Thanksgiving. Um, uh, it's a time to be grateful for what you have in your life. And so I do want to be appreciative of um, my friends, my family, my kids, uh, those things that, that I have a successful job, you know, that helps keep a roof over my head. All of these things which are, are really important. Um, the Thanksgiving dinner, not the most important, but um, but it's it wasn't really enjoyable for me uh and i'll share, share why uh i uh invited my mom and sister over to my house i had my kids this year for thanksgiving so i um you know i decided to invite my mom and sister over because they'd enjoy spending time with the, the kids and have a family meal and would feel left out if they didn't get invited right um and you know, against my better judgment, really. Uh, my mom and I have a challenging relationship, to put it mildly. We are two completely different people, and uh, and that's not great, right? And so immediately when I invited my mom over, and I may have mentioned this on the last episode, but it was like, uh, okay, you need to have an 18-pound turkey. You need uh, to have uh, this and that, and do you have this? Do you have that? I'll make a checklist of the things you need to get and the things that I'm going to bring. And we need to have these green beans there that I, uh, with almonds in them that are, that are, that make me miserable because they remind me of my childhood from the depression or whatever. I don't know. It's the saddest things in the world. Uh, but uh, they make her happy for whatever reason. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. To all of it. Sure. Whatever you like. I, you know, I just agree, went through and agreed on everything. And, uh, uh, she, wanted to be there all day to help with the turkey and uh, again that was against my better judgment I said sure okay so you'll be here at nine and uh and then she's like okay will there be breakfast it doesn't need to be a big thing but if they're gonna be breakfast when we when we, I'm like no there's the, we're not serving breakfast uh, at this uh fine establishment uh you can make a pancake we have pancake makes if you want to make a pancake or something but you will not be served breakfast. So, right, like uh, that's where I drew the line. I was like, my son and I are eating earlier than that. My daughter doesn't really eat breakfast uh, on a normal clock, so no. Uh, but they uh, just uh, proceeded to show up at uh, 8.25, 35 minutes before they had said they were going to come without texting or calling. Uh, um, and I was in my pajamas still, wasn't ready for them to show up. And even though they like to always be early, you know, they're like, they, they came in, just walked in through my garage with their two dogs and it really threw me off. I was frustrated and expressed that as, uh, as much. And, um, you know, I came on a little strong. I wasn't exceptionally rude, but I did come on a little strong and she, you know, cried within the first two minutes of coming into my house and, uh, and said it was horrible and that uh, we're family and the family doesn't need to let them know, each other know when they're coming apparently. I don't, I don't know, right? 
it it wasn't great though, and proceeded to not be great for the uh, first two, uh, three fifths of the the day because they were here for about eight hours. And uh, she was salty to me. She and she wasn't just rude to me. She was rude to my daughter who was trying to be nice and accommodating to her also. But at one point, I told her I was just like mom, you're not a happy person. Just be happy. Just like, we're just here and trying to enjoy each other's company. And she wouldn't talk to us. She was plugged into her phone, deleting emails, uh, you know, for uh, an extended time. She turned on the TV. Uh, she wanted the TV on to show the parade and the Cowboys game. And that's fine. But then it was too loud for her, even though it wasn't that loud at all. And I wanted to hear it if I was going to have it on and watch it. So non-enjoyable things and I pulled my sister aside at one point and said what's what's going on here this is not okay this is like I feel like I'm a guest in my own house and it was exhausting um, my sister didn't have anything to say because she tries not to take sides even though by definition she's in the middle um, and uh, but after that it got semi better we were able to finish making the meal uh ate the meal and then my mom and sister left and took the kids and uh, it was what it was but it just was like okay this is not enjoyable for me this can't happen i'd rather spend thanksgiving by myself than uh, have to deal with that sort of thing so i need to make corrections for the upcoming christmas holiday to ensure that that sort of thing doesn't happen and eight hours is too long for us to be spending together obviously so that's my Thanksgiving. I've talked to my friends. I've talked to other family about uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, uneventful. It was fine. You know, we hung out. I'm like, oh, what I would give for an uneventful Thanksgiving at this point right now, right? Uh, so uh, it's it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, anyway, that was my Thanksgiving. Uh, it's already on a dapper note with uh, that story, but it doesn't have a pos you know positive ending. But um, moving forward. James Ruder's on the program. Did I mention that? Uh, yeah, uh, we had a really great chat, and uh, and I want to bring him in. Uh, but before I bring him in, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, the concert. Again, he played at the August Hall. This was the second to last night of the tour that he had with Barnes Courtney. We're going to get into the tour and the shows uh, uh, and um, and kind of how he found his footing and all all of that. But. Um, I want to play a song from his set at uh, the uh, August Hall in San Francisco before we bring him in. So let's start with James Bruner's song, Alibi, which he played at August Hall. And then we'll get into the interview. <laughs> Street, I'll take some chances on the city, but what it gets to me, well, I'm 
How you doing? Doing all right. How about you? All right. You, I love the setting, the ambiance. So where, where are you right now? I'm in La Quinta, California, taking uh, some time off with my family. We just finished the tour technically two days ago. Nice. I figured it wasn't Illinois. Uh, no. <laughs> I'll be there soon <laughs> enough. But yeah, I'm just uh, hanging out here for a bit before I go back. Yeah. How, how are you liking California and the weather? This is our, this is our winter right now that you're experiencing. I know. So. It's so weird. I mean... It's weird because uh, my parents came out to this area for their honeymoon, and so they took me here a few times as a kid. And I'd be out here in you know December, and it you know it's fine during the day, and then you know the minute the sun goes behind the mountain, it's thirty two degrees. You know, it's yeah, it's it's wild, but um, no, it's 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 very beautiful, very gorgeous. Yeah, Ex excellent. I like it. Uh, uh, let's let's talk about the tour a little bit. I mean, you just uh, wrapped it. How many weeks were you with with Barnes? We were on from October 1st to November 15th. That was six weeks. Yeah. And that's your biggest tour yet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. T tell me, how did it start out for you? Kind of getting on the road and, uh, and kind of getting to experience life on tour. Sure. It was, um, it was wild. We all, we're all based out of Nashville, me and my guys in my band. So uh, we had to take a Randall Huck up to Illinois, get all of our gear together, and then from Illinois, drive all the way up to Edmonton, Canada. That was the first show, and that was, you know, a day or two on the road of just like, oh my goodness, what am I, what am I getting into? I'm, I, I, I love Barnes Courtney, I love Yannicka, I love the Ramona Flowers, uh, but and now I, I'm going on the road with them, and it was just two days of that kind of dawning on me. And so uh, when we got there, and we all started sound checking, it just was like it fit like a glove. It was like this is going to be the coolest six weeks ever this is going to be just an absolute dream but it was yeah. it was it was so fun um that build up you just had two days of anticipation of like oh my gosh we're, we're just going to get to play we're going to get to play we're going to get to play just over and over in your head and then it was like that every two days for six weeks because you know every day or two days we were you know doing it again yeah yeah and, and how did you get added to the, the tour tell me about how that came about yeah absolutely it was um it was so funny my my best friend like ever and uh videographer I saw him on the stage a few times he's got a man bun um <laughs> tuning my guitar yeah that's Elijah Settles he's just phenomenal and uh he asked me one time he was like who do you think you could uh like would, would be a good fit if you if you could open for you know an artist going on tour and I just told him without any hesitation I was like Barnes Courtney of course I, I love Barnes Courtney and I just I'm very inspired by him and I'm just respect him so much and what he does and so uh on a whim we kind of we emailed his manager that like following day not thinking he would really reply and then a week went by and we followed up and he replied and the rest is kind of history so it was it was pretty wild to uh to just take those first steps yeah and, and was the first time you met Barnes kind of at the first show or did you no actually it's it's me and Barnes have a interesting history I guess it's um I went to I'm, I'm based out of Nashville and so before I moved to Nashville I um, was at the University of Kansas as like an undeclared major. My sister was going there and I didn't know if school was the move for me, but I was there and my roommate, um, his brother is Sam Mendel, who plays bass for Barnes Courtney. Mm -hmm. And so he introduced me to his music there. And at, so like for like four, four years ago, I was like, man, this guy's awesome. And so we went to see a show in Denver while I was there. And that's the first time I met Barnes Courtney. I met him in 2019, just as a fan, as an admirer and a few more times on his next tour and then uh I was on this tour so that was the first was the first one the tour with the kooks I I think the one the one that I saw him on was with the Hunna actually okay 
Yeah, but I know he. I already toured with the Kooks. That's I know that he did that. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's where uh, I interviewed him on, t- on the tour with the Kooks. And, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. He's. I mean, he's got so much energy. It's in- yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so tell me about uh, first of all the the Canada part and no no issues with uh, passports or anything. Getting no, in- well, <laughs> I mean I have to throw my drummer under the bus right now, but it was funny. Right, I, I did like a a dad move and I called everyone the day that we were leaving and I said, "You got your passport." My guitarist did. "You got your passport." My bassist did. I called my drummer. He's like, "Yep, I'm on the road." Like three minutes out, and I'm like, "You got your passport?" He goes, "Oh no." <laughs> So instantly uh, he drove back and he got his passport. But luckily we, we called it super close, but no issues with passports. But yeah, yeah. Canada was um, Canada was super cool. I'd never been like so far up north. Like Edmonton is just so far up into the country, like into into the parts of it. And so ed- we started in Edmonton. We did Calgary, um, Winnipeg, and then we went into the U.S. and then back into Canada a few shows later. And uh, Montreal was one of my favorite cities of the tour. Quite honestly, I, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. awesome. Toronto um, was really cool too. Toronto had some uh, cool thrift stores and some some cool uh, some cool food options, and it, we loved it. Uh, I haven't been to Canada, but it sounds pretty cool. I was yeah. I was toying with taking my kids there uh, actually early next year, but my my buddy who lives in Seattle he's like we can drive up and, and then he's like actually it'll probably be too cold uh they won't have any fun maybe we wait till summer or something so it's funny you say it being too cold we were just uh up I think because we went up in the Pacific Northwest and did one more time up through Canada and um Vancouver our green room was so cold and I remember my my tour manager Elijah was just so sick that day and so that day we were all just shivering before we went on stage and yeah, it's it's cold up there right about now. It was wet, it was rainy, and it was it was just I remember the coldest day of the tour was, was yeah. uh, Vancouver. And you're like, yeah, I'll do the shirtless thing on tour uh, on stage. I, yes, I I had to at that point. I was just like, well, I mean, I'm kind of committed to to doing this since Milwaukee, you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, t- tell me about your band a little bit and kind of how you got together with the the guys. I mean, you have a freaking tight band. I mean, they, yeah. Like, and they they all look like they have fun. <laughs> yeah yeah they're so awesome they um i first one i met was nick ling uh my drummer and we just knew each other from you know going to school together for a few years at belmont university um we clinged a lot musically we we liked the same bands you know we enjoyed black sabbath we enjoyed led zeppelin we enjoyed our uh our influences and um after that i met through i can't remember who it was yeah i met zach mears through my uh vocal coach Actually, no, we didn't meet through the vocal coach. We met at the hardware store. We, we make a new story every time. <laughs> Wait, what, was the, what was the last one we told? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Yes, but but we, uh, we yeah, we met through the, the Hillsboro hardware store. We were walking around in there and we just saw each other. We were like, you know, I feel like we would cling. But um, Zach Mears, met him. He is just a phenomenal guitarist. Um, yes. I came with him in my apartment one time. I just, I was just kind of messing around and playing anything I knew at that point. And he... It was weird because it, it seemed like he knew everything that I knew at the same time. And that was our first time playing together. Um, and then Ryan Perilli, um, I met him actually two months before we hopped on the road. Um, Nick recommended him and he, he was awesome. He was so funny. He was in the pocket. He was grooving the whole tour. Yeah. And, and the dynamic with, on the on the tour, tell me about uh, how you all j- jived being in close quarters in, in a van for six weeks. 
it was it was intense but it was man i wouldn't trade it for anything you know there's there's a like the last night of the tour i think if this if you can call this a breaking point then 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 that was great but my guitarist zach said ryan make sure to not blind me with your selfies tonight in the front seat but just, aside to that you know we were all rocking and rolling we had a, an absolute fun time the van was pretty tight i had a little bunk in the back that i kind of scooped out with pillows and uh and leather blankets and sweatshirts that I've thrown around the whole tour. And I was in my little bunk and then it was, you know, Zach, Nick and Ryan and tour manager. It was just kind of so on and so forth. So forth. But yeah, we had a great group of guys driving us to Skylar and Jay Harmony who are amazing. So you didn't have to drive. So that's a, that's a luxury was, there, huh? That was a blessing. That was an absolute <laughs> blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you listen to podcasts or music? What, what, what helps you get through? Nintendo Switch helps me get through a lot of the drives, actually. Um, Mario, I saw you. You're into Mario, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm into Mario okay. Bros. I'm about to beat the uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. That one's a phenomenal. Okay, one. my and son that, beat that. I'm pretty pretty sure at least once. So have oh, isn't it awesome? My, not me, not me. My oh, son. I don't I don't have time for the games. I can't do it. I, I, gotcha. Yeah. I was gonna say you seemed like the gamer type. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> i'm too old dude uh i i could probably almost be your dad my dad will play smash bros with me by the end of this trip i'm, I'm counting on it but uh, yes uh, uh, yeah, yeah i i enjoy mario i enjoy smash bros i enjoyed zelda that was a huge one also um listening to audiobooks on the road i love doing that a lot i'm listening to dave grohl's book right now it's the storyteller uh, the storyteller yeah. yeah yeah phenomenal so um, far yeah um he, one of my one of my heroes yeah i uh gosh that's awesome yeah I, he's awesome he's so cool I, he's incredible and this this moment was pretty special because uh like i'd met him back in 05 uh backstage at a show and got a picture with him but it was a crappy camera like and it didn't yeah. come out and uh and then so he came back to the, the bay and was showing his sound city studios documentary and um and uh, like the previews were on I went to the bathroom he was just standing out front and so I went back to my studio and got a bunch of CDs I've got to get signed in case I met him and, and he signed it all he took a picture with me and then I'm like what would Dave Grohl do and yeah. uh and, and so I send the picture to my mom have her go to CVS make an 8 by 10 of it bring it back to uh to me and then it, afterwards at the q and I was the first to ask a question and got him to sign it and he's like wasn't this like an hour ago yeah that's amazing <laughs> that's like some quick turnaround time right there wow <laughs> Oh yeah, of course. Don't waste time. So <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's pretty great. Um, you're set. So um, I wasn't expecting to go to the concert. I was supposed to be in Austin this week, and it, that fell through. And so I was like, I mean, I knew Barnes is going to be here, and I'm uh, a fan. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the show. Uh, and getting a 40 year old out to a show, and I'm like, oh god, so I'm going to get home at what time? And uh, it's, I'm just old and like don't make it to as many as I used to. And uh, but but I'm like for for Barnes it's happening and I didn't look into the openers at all I didn't I wasn't aware of you or uh, Yanaka and I'm like okay two bands to get through before Bar and then so like you went on before like it it even said the show was supposed to be starting but yeah. so I I walk in and I'm just immediately impressed uh, I'm like this this is great like I mean you you had a live performance of like a headline headliner like i mean you just got into it and again your band is incredible and Thank you get you. into the crowd and everything so tell, tell me kind of how you got that confidence how you uh, how you kind of built your uh, your setup and kind of your your persona 
Sure, of course. I mean, I'm at horror. I mean, I'm sure Barnesy knows this by now, but I'm a fan of him. I'm a fan of, you know, people that have such high energy like Barnes, like Mick Jagger and and all those people that would run around the stage like just and, and scream and just raise mayhem. It was so awesome to me. And so the first few shows, um, we were with Ramona Flowers and there were I mean, they're always pretty tight stages sometimes depending on the venue. And so a lot of those first shows, the stages were pretty tight. And um, because there was just so much equipment and, the, you know, the venue or whatever. And so I didn't really have much space to run around. I, I was kind of in there. I couldn't really I, I wasn't really sure about getting in the crowd. I'd never done anything like that. So I'd say the first few shows, I just stood up there. I played my spot. I screamed a little bit and I moved around. But then I think it was Milwaukee playing at the Rave Eagles Club. That was the first time, you know, my parents uh, flew into that show. So I was like, I'm going to give them a show tonight and let them know what I've been doing this tour. And so I. uh during that last part of better days, I told Zach, I'm going to put down that guitar in the stand and I'm just going to run around and really just try my best. And so threw the guitar in the stand, jumped down and my cord wasn't even really long enough. So I just kind of yanked it with me. <laughs> I just kind of was like, no, you're coming. You're coming with me. And I uh, hop on the barricade and I just screamed in their faces and I didn't know what they were going to think, but they just went, oh, <laughs> they almost look, you know, like a uh, happy at the same time mortified and that was right what I wanted so from there uh, I was like well I got to get down in the crowd every show now they like it and then from there I started hopping the barricade and then I would you know walk around in there and you know uh and I'd touch people and I'd I'd, uh, I'd shake them and I'd get them riled up and it was it was great so yeah the, the set um really I just wanted to obviously being inspired by Barnes I wanted to, you know, really bring some some energy to the table because these shows, I thought this tour was such a fun lineup. You know, me, Yannick, I, I had the time of my life, Yannicka and then Barnes, like it was a really uh, blessed lineup and I was really happy to be a part of it. So I was like, well, I'm here. I might as well give them the show that, that they wouldn't see uh, an opener to the opener typically give. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it was surprising me and I've been to many shows over the years, right? Like, and I was, so you and Yannicka uh, uh, and everything, I mean, it was just such an incredible set. Uh, um, I mean, performance for, uh, in the evening. So um, tell me about, uh, I mean, the, did you, the relationship to you both with Yannicka and with, with Barnes over the couple of weeks? Did you guys sure. get to hang, hang and get yeah, to know each other I, pretty well? We got to hang uh, quite a bit. Like obviously some of our green rooms were shared too. So that was really fun. And um, you know, I think, me and Yannicka every time, uh, Teresa from Yannicka, every time we were in a, like a close counters, I believe we, we tried to either get coffee or get really good food. So, uh, we, I think one of our last shows, it was in Victoria, Canada. Yeah. Victoria, Canada. And, um, we went and got like the best Thai food ever. And Teresa is just so sweet to hang out with my mom and her got along so well. Cause my parents came to the, you know, last few shows and, it was uh, emotional for Teresa and my mom to part ways uh, two days ago. Uh, but yeah, it was it was uh, absolutely great. Me, me and Yannicka had a great time. Um, Alex and, and George are, are just the kindest people ever, um, as as is Teresa. And then Barnes's crew was just so, so sweet, so accommodating, so great. Um, they're a talented group of guys and they like to have a fun time and they're just so respectful and nice. I, I love them. They were they were absolutely uh absolute peaches to be around you know Barnes, Agam, London, Sam, uh, Jaron, Richard, all the guys um, they were they were just just perfect to be around and I uh, and I'd met Barnes before and you know I, I was like man how is this gonna go and uh, it just exceeded my expectations he's he's always always willing to talk about music he's always willing to hear what you have to say and um, he's always willing to just hang out and talk and you know tell him whatever you want and whatever you need and he's a uh, 
very, very great guy. Yeah, I saw him after the show, and he um, and I reminded him that I interviewed him like four or five years ago or whatever, and uh, and he's he's like, yeah, thank you for remembering me, and I'm like, I'm more than remember you, I'm a fan, you know, I mean, like you you put on a, a great show, it's really awesome. Mm, he's phenomenal. <laughs> that's that's uh that's great. You interviewed him how many years ago? Four years. Uh, it's it was twenty nine. Must have been twenty nineteen. That uh, around there. Yeah, it was before COVID, so we'll, do, we'll call it. Yeah. You said you yeah. kind of separate everything that way, right? <laughs> before uh, everyone was doing interviews all the time in COVID, you know. Now, <laughs> now I'm most, mostly Zoom. They were in person. Yeah, I used all to do Zoom so ones. Many, so many in person. I save save a lot of gas money this way, but uh, that's great. And, oh yeah. Yeah, and can do it. You know, I mean, we can talk for whatever, and not, I don't have to feel rushed in between sound check and dinner and uh, and, this, and other bands playing in the background and everything. Yeah. So change over, whatever. Fifteen minutes, guys. <laughs> I know. Like, okay, quick, one more question. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, and you you learned a thing or two about sh uh, showering on tour. Also, I saw like right getting yeah, creative. That, huh? that was a uh, that was interesting. It, that was uh that was at Jack Rabbits in jacksonville florida and have you been to jackrabbits before ever i haven't no okay so for the people that haven't been to jackrabbits it's a little shack in uh on this little strip in jacksonville that has no no green room at least they didn't have a green room from us so so we kind of lived out of the van changing and going in shuffling the gear through this sandy pit and um i i've been i got really into my tour manager got me really into running on this tour you know developed lung stamina so that day was already, you know, it was hot. It was Florida. So I was like, well, I'm already sweating. I'm going to run a mile and then I'll figure out a backup plan soon enough. And so I ran my mile, um, put down all my things and I see a, there's a gallon of water in the van and a bar of dub soap that uh, Skylar, our, dr our uh, driver in security brought. And so I was like, you mind if I use that? And he was like, go for it. And so I just took it and I was like, hey, Elijah, you want to get some content of this? And Right when I did that, Barnes was walking by. I look over and I'm just dumping a gallon of water on my head. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, this is how I got to stay clean for tonight, you know? He's like, I've seen crazier, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he walked over. He was like, nice. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Uh, got to clean yourself however you can, right? So Absolutely. No, I, I had to, you know, look nice. My hair was all frizzed out from all the humidity anyway in Florida. So I was like, well, it's got to get matted down some way, one way or another. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've mentioned your parents a couple of times and uh, I saw your mom post on some of your posts like she seems really supportive of you uh, tell me about the, your parents support as you got decided to get into music mm -hmm. they're so supportive they they uh they absolutely had a amazing time coming to these past few shows and they were nothing but supportive from the first day I got my uh, first guitar in uh, Lawrence Kansas I went into a music store and I bought I had some birthday money that they gave me I had a hundred dollar bill and um gave it to the guy who was like oh that's a 102 plus tax and i was not not having the the rest of it i i gave him the hundred dollar bill and he was like oh you're all right and so he just gave me my ibanez geo and from then i think they were like oh how how long is this gonna last um you know how long is this gonna last you know kids sticking with instruments and whatever and so i took it home i sat it on my lap i learned iron man on the open e string and they're like oh that's pretty that's pretty cool and then from there you know it goes to smells like teen spirit it goes to smoke on the water it goes to power chords and as and then you know crossing the bridge of trying to get my uh myself to sing while i played guitar they they have loved every part of it though they, they were it was cool to just watch them like really you want to start playing guitar i didn't know you really knew anything about doing that or or, or even had any desire to and i was like 
I think this is pretty cool. I, saw, I grew up skateboarding, watching skate videos, and they had all this great music in it. They had Led Zeppelin, they had Black Sabbath, they had um, they had like old like Circle Jerks and Buzzcocks playing in the background. I'm like, this is such cool stuff, and and skaters were indulging in it too. So for them to see my evolution, I I I, I I don't want to speak for my mom, but I believe at the Roxy, she got teary eyed. So I was, that was pretty happy about that. I went in the crowd and I gave her, I held her hand when I was doing better days, our last song. Oh, that's great. That's great. I love it. And, uh, and so did you teach yourself mostly on, on guitar or did you take any lessons or? Yeah, I, um, but after that, you know, one self-taught lesson of me hitting the open E string, I think it was just all uphill from there. No, I mean, I, um, I did, uh, you know, a few shout out Marty Schwartz. If you're ever seeing this Marty Schwartz on YouTube, um, I did a few of those, but, uh, for the most part, it was all, uh, it was all self-taught and just, you know, other people that I knew that were playing and that could help me in any way, like kind of learn how to, you know, do a bar chord or do, or do palm muting or anything like that. Yeah. And, and did your dad influence a lot of your music? Uh, I mean, that seems like a lot of his era, I imagine. It's so funny because I think, you know, we like the same music now. I don't think we really, I think my bigger influence was probably my mom. Uh, she, she would play Fleetwood Mac, the dance, um, that CD every day in the car when I was like young, young. And so when I started getting into music and not rediscovering, you know, all the good rock bands you do as a young man, I, uh, started hearing, you know, my little demon coming on day. And that's, you know, Lindsey Buckingham, the live version of my little demon. And I'm like, wait a second, this was the CD that my mom played over and over. Um, so me and her really have the same music taste, but my dad, um, I think he got more into music as I got into music, like just more listening to more stuff, like figuring out more old bands and new bands. Yeah, yeah. And and where did you find your voice as a, as a singer? Oh, it's so funny because I love my mom, but I don't know if she can, she can't really hold, she can't hold pitch no. as, as much as you might think. But my dad, um, he doesn't, he, I've never heard him sing. And I was, I was always growing up like, I wonder where I do get it. It's got to be somewhere genetics or something like that. And so I heard him one time as he was kind of on his phone, just not really knowing I was watching him. And he goes, tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? And he was singing Shallow, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, just kind of under his breath. And he was holding the, holding the pitch way more. And I was like, 18 at the time I never heard my dad sing a lick and I looked over I was like what <laughs> and so that was really cool to, to see but I, yeah I have to say it's from my dad that's, that's pretty great that's pretty great and uh and you did uh theater in high school right theater yeah how'd you know that yeah. I, I do my research I've done this uh you're you're like my 425th out of 30th or whatever podcast yeah. and that's just in the podcast I've been interviewing since you were very young i'll say <laughs> but but i like to know even if i am short notice like i reached out to you two days ago or something you were totally cool thank you for, for saying yeah that. absolutely thank you for asking it was <laughs> i was that was super cool yeah so, so tell, tell, tell me about the theater what are what, what, what sort of plays did you i did from middle school like all my years of middle school my sister was in the theater um and like we were she's like two or three years older than me and, and so we were when i was in fifth grade she was a little bit older than me and we were also she was doing those musicals that they had all through middle school and I was like well might as well do it she always had a fun time I uh so every year I auditioned and got a place on the on the squad so I did Cinderella fifth grade like really young 
Um, I was just kind of, you know, an extra that had a few lines and it was, it was a time. And then uh, a huge jump in sixth grade. I did, um, I did honk junior, which if you don't know about honk junior, it is the ugly, the story of the ugly duckling. And uh, okay. I, I got the ugly duckling and that was a musical and a lead, the lead role. And I was like, Oh, wow. I'll get my own bow at the end of this. I've got to step it up from this extra that I just had. So uh, did Honk Jr. It was a blast. Had my first uh, like vocal solo where I sat on the end of the stage. The spotlight was on me. It was a great time. And then after that, there was the, remember Narnia? Like the, the Narnia movie? Yeah, Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, 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 exactly. There was a, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They did a play mm-hmm. of it. And um, so I was in that. I was Edmund. And then the last year, um, I was in middle school. It was eighth grade. I did... Um, the little mermaid i did the little mermaid and i was a uh, grimsby the old man with like the big wig uh-huh, and, uh, yeah. So, yeah i had i had a fair uh, amount of time in the theater having a lot of fun putting on costumes you know running around on the stage and i think that might have been a little bit of the early intro to to what i do now oh nice nice i did some theater in high school and uh, and I one shakespeare play and learning shakespeare is a beast i tell you like just... i can't imagine what what was it it was comedy of errors. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so like I think it probably had at least a page monologue also, and you have to learn it and kind of try and understand it a little bit. And it's, ah, uh, I had one play where I I had the scene with a a, a girl and uh, and and like I stumbled a line or something, and which made her miss her line. I felt so bad, uh, you know, and because then you have to kind of stumble the line on the hardest <laughs> musical ever. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't a musical and uh, you don't want me singing and luckily it oh, wasn't yeah. a musical but <laughs> but yeah but I was just like I, I felt really bad about that earlier so uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I might have had a few of those slip-ups as well and they, uh, the thing is showbiz you go with it just you go with it not, it's not going backwards it's only going forwards no. at this point no no you gotta make the best of it so yeah um, and so uh, you you started out playing a lot of covers as well. You mentioned some of them that you learned, but you were mostly covers and would work in some of your uh, your individual stuff. So uh, tell me kind of about that dynamic you, uh, of kind of going from a cover band to kind of kind of building your own co- uh, music. Yeah, I was in. Um, yeah, I think this the, the show is really start like I say shows when I there are restaurant gigs, but I mean, they were still fun. There were shows in my opinion, mm-hmm. shows in my book. Yeah, I had a lot of fun at them. Uh, they started around, I started playing guitar at like 15. And so I think like 17 or 18, I uh, I joined a band from a buddy of mine that went to middle school with me that like that kept in touch. Uh, they're still going, they're called Unchained and they're uh, they're cool, they're great. They, um, so they brought me in as the the singer and rhythm guitarist for a bit. And so we were playing, you know, private parties. We were playing uh, restaurants. We were playing uh, sometimes bars that we weren't allowed to technically go in, but we uh, we did anyway. Uh, I was going to ask you about that because you see, yeah, I think you were a little young to be going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, we uh, played a lot of those. And when I went over to KU, um, wound up leaving the band uh, to do, you know, the, the solo project, um, start, you know, James Bruner. And... So when COVID happened, it was 2019. Yeah, 20, 2019 going into 2020, the, the year of COVID and everything else that came with it. Uh, when they first started kind of letting people go out in public again, I um I got this kind of gig a few times. I think it was like six times for the summer uh, playing outside of this rest, little Italian restaurant in Springfield, Illinois called Papa Frank's. And um, just owned by a friend of my dad's and 
got me in and I'd play on the patio for like seven to 10, uh, a couple of times, uh, throughout the summer. And it was a fun time. And so for those gigs, you know, I didn't have a lot of songs written, like at the song that you saw, I don't think any of them were written at that, t- at that point, I think like maybe one of them was, and I, um, was just playing covers. I was, I, I was playing covers of Barnes. I was playing covers of, uh, Jeff Buckley. I was playing covers like Sublime, uh, oh, Pink Floyd, and just stuff that people really appreciated and really knew, um, you know, to get a little, to get a tip and get a rise out of them. And it was, it was awesome. So I, I from there, it kind of, um, I still, you know, I'll still do those things if uh, I need to. I, I would love to honestly go back to a restaurant and just play at Papa Frank's if I, if I, uh, if they ask me. Yeah. And and the decision to name the band your, your own name, like did, did you toy with other band names or was that, was that just natural? You want to this? I thought project? about it. I thought about it. Yeah, we 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 had some uh some talks about possibly doing that, and I, the thing that I kind of I guess it kind of boiled down to is like that I um I never had not that I didn't have luck with bands, but I was in too many bands that I wound up taking off from or that wound up splitting up, and so I was like, well, if the band splits up, I I guess I'm still James Bruner, you know. So yeah. I, I I guess I thought um and I love my guys in my band. I don't think that we're going anywhere i um but i just kind of really i guess it was a security measure i was like well you know what my name doesn't change band names can i guess yeah yeah last time i checked they gave me a birth certificate not a band certificate (laughs) it's fair you're stuck with the birth certificate it's it'll follow you around no matter what right so right yeah and uh and so the uh you um you put out well you had an acoustic version of your newest single patience um Mm -hmm. and uh it's a great song and I love that you, how you kind of changed it for uh you know for the new version that you put out tell me kind of about kind of uh, pushing that song out that song I love I wrote that with uh my good friend who I've talked about Elijah he he helped write some of that like the, the pre-chorus and stuff like that we were just sitting in his in his living room one day and originally it was like this kind of it was like this little Irish lick that we had that went into the the C chord and that kind of bounced between the C and and the and the G and all that stuff, but so we ditched the Irish thing and I I workshopped it a little bit more. And that song I just wanted it to be so when I brought it to record I wanted it to be like so stripped. And when I recorded it, me and my producer were just really like trying to embody the Jeff Buckleyness of a of you know a Telecaster with some reverb through it, um, and a, just a very delicate voice, like one track of a one guitar, one vocal sort of thing we really wanted to embody that and uh so it was perfect on this tour and when i got to go out a few minutes early sometimes and, and uh and play that just play it nice and stripped and just kind of smack the tuner rake the strings and uh yeah it was pretty it was i think i think in san francisco was that the show that you were at san francisco yeah but i, ca- I, ca- I came in probably 20 minutes into your set or yeah. something uh, i started the, i started the set with it um because i went on at 7 30 and the doors had opened like 10 minutes earlier and so yeah. I think when I went out, a fan of mine uh, thought I was sound checking the guitar. Like, was was I, I sound checked it? He went sound check, woo! And then I played. I started singing. I went for aching my bones, and he just went, "Wow, wait a second! He's not the he's not the sound guy." <laughs> he was just so confused and thrown off. It was it was great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I probably didn't miss that much of your set then because I came in just a little bit after seven thirty, like seven forty or something, something like that. But I. I heard the music going and asked this uh, security person. I was like, "Did the show? Already, you know, what time did the show start?" And he said, "At seven or just after or something." 
yeah. me had no idea. So, <laughs> uh, but but that's cool. And so, uh, wasting time in a better way is your uh, EP. Right. And um, and so, uh, tell me about going into the studio. Did you have the songs written as you went into the the studio? I had all of them written, but actually one, uh, and it's Alibi, my, uh, I guess my, my, my top song right now. Um, I had all of them written. I had Patience written. I had Drapes written. Uh, I had Better Days written and all that stuff. That's a plane. That's a helicopter. That's not a plane. It's a bird. It's a plane. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something up there. But anyway, I, I, I had uh, all those written and in the recording process, like I think it, we like just kind of spaced it out through a few weeks. Me and the band and the guys would go in, in and out to our uh, producer David's house and record these. But I think around so towards the end of the sessions, I went to my vocal coach and me and my vocal coach do writing sessions sometimes. And uh, she told me, she was like, I want you to write me a song that's, that's, um, like you're walking down Broadway, but not Nashville Broadway, the good Broadway, New York City. What are you feeling? And uh, I'm like, I feel like lightning. And that was kind of, that was uh, when I wrote Alibi in her office. And so after I thought this EP of like four songs was done, I was like, let's put a fifth on. And so uh, we threw on Alibi. And that was the the first single to come out of the EP. Yeah. And you mentioned having a vocal coach. Uh, how often do you see the vocal coach? What are you taking away from? Her? On tour, we 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 spoke every like via phone, doing a vocal balances every every day or two, actually. Um, but right now, I'm just taking a break. She was like, "You don't have to sing for a week if you don't want to, since you've been working so hard." Um, but yeah, she's based out of Nashville. She's uh, Kim Wood Sandusky. She's absolutely awesome. Yeah. Um- when you look relocated to Nashville, what was that like uh, for you? Obviously, there's a much uh, more prevalent music scene in Nashville than in uh, Illinois, right? Of course, I uh, Springfield. It's got a music scene, um, but Springfield, Illinois, is Springfield, Illinois, and Nashville is Nashville. They've got their, they've got their places. Um, when I moved to Nashville, it was almost. I think everyone might struggle with this a little bit when they move there. I I got discouraged a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, everyone's doing music. So uh, how, how do I fit in with everyone that's better than me and working harder than me and, you know, writing better songs than me? And uh, so that was a, it was a humbling experience, to say the least. When you first moved there, you're like, oh, my gosh, how do I how do I fit in? But but I think Nashville is a kind of enough town where uh, you always find your people and you always find uh, who's your best friends and, and who's not and who has your best interests and who wants to play music with you. And uh, I'm, I'm blessed that it happened, you know even a year or two in to me living there. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. And um, and so as you as you finish your EP, kind of tell me about the process of putting that out in the world and what was the response from it? Yeah, uh, the EP, we scheduled it to be out on June 9th so we could have a release show in Nashville at the East Rim. And that was so fun. But basically, I think we recorded a lot from like February to March or April and then started putting out the singles in April uh with alibi and then may with patience and so so it was kind of like one month a single another month a single the following month ep um that was kind of you know the release plan that i that i went off of being you know a diy first ep um but yeah it was it was great we recorded it through february and those kind of colder months going into the warmer and got it mixed and mastered and produced by uh the amazing david shivers he's uh my producer and he's he's phenomenal he 
does quite a bit of amazing work in Nashville. Yeah. So what did he pull, what did he pull out for uh, of you that you kind of like didn't know you'd be able to bring um, going into it? He is so motivational when I'm at the mic more than any producer <laughs> I've uh, like during. I think, oh, it was it was better days where I have a scream on the end of it. I I go like, Ugh. and he um. I remember when we in the vocal sessions, he came in and was just like, James, we're going to do it one more time. And that's it. That wasn't true. Um, so he said that and then he just came in. It just shook me. And right when I did it, he was just, he just shook me and just went ah, at me because I was so close to, you know, getting it. And then I I finally did it on the and hit the note. And he was just like, save, 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 smacked it on the computer. But yeah, he's 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 amazing. He's the most motivational uh, person when I'm on the mic and, and with my guys too, like with, with, uh, with Zach on guitar and with, uh, Nick on drums and he, he's so motivational to uh, everyone involved and it's great. It's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, uh, we already talked about covers, but I did want to mention one that you did, uh, that, that I thought was really cool. Don't look back in anger. Uh, your cover of that is really awesome. I'm uh, an Oasis fan from back in, eh, back in the day. Right. Got Great. Got me through a lot in seventh grade, I'll tell you that. And uh, oh yeah. yeah, I think it might have been my first cassette. Uh, you know, you know cassettes, right? So yeah, okay. yeah, cassettes. <laughs> uh, I, I thought they were just a myth. You know, <laughs> sorry, yeah, it's the olden days. Uh, this but... cassette that you speak of—it's real. It's, it, it was. Yeah, you yeah. line it with your fingers, really. <laughs> flip, flip that thing over in the in the. The Walkman and play it and wear that tape out. I tell you, so it was a good one. But yeah, uh, when you approach a uh, a cover, like how do you put your own spin on it? What do you look for to kind of make it your own? I think that when doing covers, if I can play it kind of a different way than it was played on guitar, like just tweak it a little bit. Like for for example, if uh, it's strummed, maybe finger pick it, make it a bit more delicate. And if it's finger picked, vice versa. You know, strum it a little bit more. Um, give it i'd like to change keys a lot on on stuff i like to change keys and arrangements um sometimes i'll cut covers even short like i won't do a, a final chorus or um i'll just stop playing guitar and and sing the last word or something i i just think that um any way to make a cover not the original is is one of the best ways to do a cover i in my opinion i i, I enjoy uh really doing it like that like even when i we play covers in a in my band. Like we played, I think it was funny. The last show that we played before we played our first one of the tour was uh, the Illinois State Fair, and it was a uh, we okay. played three hours, and we had to throw some covers in there for sure. And we did a rendition of um oh we did a lot of renditions, but I think it was like it was White House Road by Tyler Childers, and we really <laughs> like did like the jam band style of it just to make it something that it uh that it is not on the recorded version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can almost not tell it's the you know the actual song, but you for kind of pay homage to it at the same time. It, you, you, if you're not paying attention to the lyrics, you might not even know it's a cover sort of thing. Is kind of what we wanted to to convey. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, uh, as you look forward, do you have any uh, songs kind of ready? Are you planning for another EP or uh, a full length? What is uh, what does that look like? For you? We are putting out an EP and hoping to put it out by a little bit maybe before the summer but um yeah the first single that we'll be putting out i i teased it a lot at these live shows it's called wait for you um it's not out anywhere yet and 
it's very uh, groggy and Black Sabbath influenced, and it's uh, I enjoy it a lot. I think it's very killer and very awesome. It's a little bit more heavy for for what I write, but yeah, um, I'll be putting out another EP this year for sure, and hopefully after that, you know, a full length. Already before the end of the year, huh? Nice. Mm-hmm. That's nice. right. Looking forward to it. And uh, and tour uh, any other tours in the works? As of right now, no. But uh, I'm putting out something. I'm uh, my hope is I'll I'll get to you know it around a little bit and tour it yeah that's awesome uh, well james thanks for taking the time and uh, what a what a great place to, to do the interview yeah. too. I mean, so. thank you so much for uh for asking me yeah thank you yeah. for reaching out absolutely that was my interview with james Werner here at concert pipeline and moving forward so uh there was another opener that was also really really great uh that opened for barnes courtney and uh it was one of these shows where i didn't listen to either of the openers i usually will check out the openers uh before going to a show so i know what i'm in for and kind of maybe get to know their music a little bit before going and seeing them live and uh this band um I didn't, I didn't check out either band, to be honest, because I wasn't expecting to get to go to the show. I was expecting to be in Austin for a work trip, and that didn't happen. And so I bought the ticket the, the day before the show and uh, and then just was surprised. And I went in and kind of thought, like, you know, okay, I have to sit through two, ba- two openers. That's usually kind of the feeling of, like, you have to sit through openers to get to the band you want to see. And then that was not the case. I was so enjoyed, both of the bands uh, that, that played. Um, and the second band was uh, Yanaka, and is uh, they they were from England. Is led by a female musician, and uh, and and they put on a really great set. Also, I enjoyed their whole performance. They got the crowd going. It was a really lively performance. And uh, it, it, both of these bands, James Renner and Yanaka, leading up to Barnes Courtney, made me realize just how much value I got out of that thirty five dollar, including ticket charge uh, t- uh, ticket. Uh, that I paid for the show because I, a week before I was looking at a Green Day ticket to try and get a pit ticket to be close and go to see them relive American Idiot and Dookie and play some new lot, uh, some new songs off their new album that they were doing. And I, I want to be close, right? And to, to be close, you have to pay out the ass. You have to pay 500, 600, 700, almost $1,000 for a pit ticket, which is just ridiculous. Uh, I remember seeing him 20 years ago at the same spot and not having to pay those prices. And it's just not worth it to me for an evening at a concert um, that, to pay that, that astronomical price for a ticket. So I'm not doing it. But I did do it for Bards Courtney because I'm a fan. And Yanaka put on a really great show. And uh, they're going to pay, uh, I'm going to, I want to play a song from their set. Uh, this is one called Hands Off My.
My money by Yanaka concert pipeline, um, and uh, and let's let's move on to Barnes Courtney and talk a little bit about his performance. Uh, I had seen Barnes Courtney at the Fox Theater in Oakland. That's where I interviewed him when he played with the Kooks and one other band who is escaping me right now at the the time. But I interviewed all three bands that were playing at the Fox that uh, that night. It was a, a fun night of interviewing bands with my buddy Jens and seeing a great live show uh, and. Barnes had opened that show, I believe, and he put on a really great performance, and I was immediately a fan from from that moment. So uh, before that show, we had interviewed him in his uh, van outside the Fox Theater, and uh, he had been playing video games, I think, or something, and uh, took a break to to chat with us, and, and we had a really fun chat. I remember being uh, a good time, and I just became an immediate fan after that. Uh, and listen to him a lot. He just, I can rock out to him. He's he's a great performer, and uh, and I don't think I've seen him live again since. But I do follow him on the socials and watch a lot of his live stuff. And uh, and just his energy is incredible. Uh, and so uh, so getting to see him live again uh, at a show that he was headlining was was great. He pulled out the hits. He played a bunch of songs. There were a lot of people who were. You know, big fans of his, you know, in the in the front as well, and uh, it's great to hear them talk about how they saw him last year at the same uh, venue, and uh, and just just were huge fans, and uh, and so I I wanted to see Barnes Courtney live, and he put on such a great show, and uh, and then after the show, um, I, I stuck around for like five minutes uh, uh, as it cleared out, let it clear out a little bit, and I was as I was walking toward the door, he was just standing there talking to a couple people, and so. I walked up and I waited my turn and uh, and I got to uh, get a picture uh, or two or three with uh, with Barnes and uh, and I'm used to just you know photo ops you know you just take a picture you hug the person or you sit next to them or you know what have you and uh, uh, and this and Barnes Courtney is such a great hugger I'll just say that right uh, he get, he gave me this big uh, big old hug like this embrace and uh, the fan who took the picture is just like. Uh, show the bromance or something and uh, so that's what you're seeing in these pictures right now uh, was the Barnes Courtney and Steve Jones bromance uh, which was I can't say I disliked it I'll just say it right it was, uh, it was enjoyable uh-huh yeah you know, I still felt some of his sweat from uh, his performance because he puts on a show and he puts it leaves it all on stage and that's what I told him uh, I, I, I told him I had interviewed him four years before and uh, he thanked me for remembering him and uh, and I just, just like, no, nah, I'm a big fan, dude. Uh, uh, keep up the good work. Come back again soon. And, uh, and it was great. And so I want to play a song from Barnes Courtney set. Uh, and this is uh, one of his hits, Glitter and Gold. <laughs>
was Glitter and Gold by Barnes Courtney here on Concert Pipeline. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. I have a couple of stories to wind us out today here on the program. Um, I'm going to start with No Effects. Uh, they have announced their 2024 North American tour, including final shows ever. Um, they have been on this farewell tour. It's seeing, seeing them sign off after a good 40-year career. They added 15 additional dates to their 40 years, 40 cities, 40 songs per day tour. Uh, and they're going to end with some hometown shows in October 2024. Uh, and uh, Fat Mike said, we've played over 2,000 shows in 33 countries in more than 300 cities. And darn it, we're a bit tired. One thing I know in my heart, this is going to be the most emotional, heartbreaking, greatest tour of our career. I've never been so excited and at the same time terrified mostly excited um and he announced this breakup uh, uh last september uh said it's an amazing run and uh he's announced he had announced a string of us and uk dates which took place all the way through september of this year and they said this is not a final tour like motley crew or black sabbath uh, he said at the time these are the very last shows that no effects will ever be playing we are going to play with all our hearts with all our our joy and then we're done uh we are done done uh, and so uh, he, uh, the no effects guitarist Eric Melvin did suggest that the band could still release new music after retiring from touring. He said he still wants to record and release records as no effects. Uh, so we'll see how that works because they kind of go hand in hand uh, uh, um, together. So, um, but they don't have to. So they might just uh, record. But apparently they're done, redone, done, and have three shows beginning of October in Los Angeles at Birth 46. So that's no effects. Um, I interviewed no effects about 20 years ago uh, uh, on Warp Tour, which was uh, pretty cool. They don't do a lot of interviews and it was like a panel interview, but I dominated it. I asked most of the questions of Fat Mike and Eric from no effects and, uh, and it was enjoyable. So uh, it was pretty cool. Felt cool to get to interview them. Um, never really became a huge fan, but, uh, but appreciate the mark they left on the music world. Jack Antonoff reveals uh, Bleacher's new song, Hey Joe, isn't about Taylor Swift. Uh, fans had speculated that the song was about the singer's ex-boyfriend, Joe uh, Alwyn. Um, and uh, the, let's see, the new song taken from the self-titled album with Bleachers, set to arrive next year. Uh, however, upon sharing the title of the new track, fans have been quick to assume who the lyrics have been inspired by. Uh, and uh, Jack Antonoff has worked alongside Taylor Swift for years and has been credited as, as co-producer on some of her most famous songs, including Antihero. Uh, however, because of their relationship, some fans began theorizing that the song was written about Swift's ex-boyfriend, Joe Alwyn, uh, who she was in a relationship for, with for six years, uh, but they split, uh, split up. And so... Uh, Antonoff said, there's a community of people that will be pretty disappointed when they find out that it's a meditation on my father uh, and his friends walking the Ho Chi Minh Trail in their 60s, uh, he said in a new interview with The Garden Guardian. So, sorry, Swifties, uh, you're wrong on that one. Uh, Green Day, I talked about before, said their new album, Saviors, bridges the gap between Dookie and American Idiot and the best of their career, uh, says the band. They also discuss why the American dream is killing me, marked the right time for them to return to political songwriting. Uh, so uh, Billy Joe Armstrong, Trey Cool, and Mike Dirt uh, announced their 14th LP, which is the follow-up to 2020's Father of All Motherfuckers last month, set to arrive on January 19th. 
uh, and they've opened up about what fans can expect from the album in a new interview. I think that the record is sort of the best uh, of everything that Green Day has, uh, he, he said, uh, and Saviors is a part two of American Idiot. It's the 30 years of experience that we have kind of come together, whether it's something from Dookie uh, or American Idiot. I think somehow we're able to bridge that gap in making something that is essential, an essential record for us. Uh, so it's a lot of pressure because their most recent albums have not been great. Uh, they do, are not reminiscent, reminiscent of Dookie or American Idiot, which are both really great albums and milestones of their career, which they uh, recognize through their new tour, which they uh, hail as uh, the 30 years since Dookie, 20 years since American Idiot. Uh, so we'll see what comes with favors. I will give it a listen. I am a Green Day fan. I feel, yeah, feel bad saying that the last three or four albums were not great, but I'm sorry, they were not great. Uh, Post Malone covered the Proclaimers and Sublime with uh, a New Zealand bar band. He sang Sublime is what I got and the Proclaimers, I'm going to be 500 miles, which uh, in a personal note, my son really likes I'm going to be 500 miles because it was in the new Goosebumps series twice. And uh, so he plays it a lot on the uh, HomePod and he likes to ask people if they know that song. And most everybody he comes in contact with does know that song. So uh, uh, he's uh, Post Malone is currently touring Australia and New Zealand. He made a special appearance at Doolin's Irish Pub in Auckland, where he surprised patrons with those covers that I mentioned. Uh, and uh, he sang the song. Uh, there's fan film footage of it as well, of course. So you can check that out online uh, if you want. But uh, he's doing his thing. All right, and last story, we like to end with a Dave Grohl or Foo Fighters story with when we can. Um, Scott Ian from Anthrax, his 12-year-old son, Revel, uh, great name, by the way, uh, played Everlong with Dave Grohl in, the, uh, in Dave Grohl's studio. Uh, and uh, Revel gave Pat the day off, joked Anthrax's guitarist. Scott Ian is his 12-year-old son, uh, subbed in for Pat Smear at a, at a Foo Fighters rehearsal. Uh, and so they... Uh, let's see, but, uh, Scott Ian's then eight-year-old son uh, back in 2019 were joined by, uh, he joined Foo Fighters on stage uh, during their performance at Bourbon and Beyond Festival in Louisville. Uh, and uh, he went on stage to play Everlong, There Goes My Hero, Daddy Ian posted on Instagram afterwards, proudest dad moment ever. Well, he apparently got to relive that four years later at Studio 606. Uh, and uh, and that his son got to play uh, play with uh, with the Foo Fighters. Pretty pretty cool. So uh, that is it. That is it for our show for today. So thank you for tuning in. I definitely appreciate it. I do not have another episode lined up right now, so it might be a week or two before you hear uh, or see another episode of Concert Pipeline. Kind of how it goes this time of year, but we'll try and continue to bring new content to you. We're going to close out the podcast with one more song from Barnes Courtney's set at August Hall in San Francisco. This is Hard to Be Alone. For all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.
Won't you let me know? 